Before we begin, just to let you guys know, our logo artwork was designed by Nicole Anarchy and music by Taylor Paisley French. Warning, this podcast does contain spoilers for the Verse series. Welcome to the Best Damn Camp, a Riordan verse read-along and analysis podcast that sets out to read all the books by Rick Riordan in timeline order. I am your host Fran and welcome to the show. Before I dive in, I just want to, firstly, (laughs) I'm going to begin doing this with every episode now I think, preface everything that I'm about to say in this following episode with the fact that I love and am a huge fan of the Percy Jackson series. I've got tattoos of them, I've got every book, I read them every year, at least twice a year in fact. And as much as I love them, I am also incredibly critical of the series. And I think that's something that people should be allowed to be critical of the things that they enjoy. So just prefacing all that because, well, I have a lot of strong opinions and lots of people have begun to question whether or not I enjoy the books because of my strong opinions. So I just want to preface that and just kind of go ahead with that also. Um, I do also want to say, and this has technically nothing to do with the episode and the chapters I'm talking about, but many of you may know that I am working on my debut novel, which I'm hoping to publish by winter 2021 with the subsequent books of the trilogy coming in the years after. But why I'm mentioning this is because I am in the process of searching for my beta readers. Now beta readers are basically people who read through the books in in sequences basically in some sense or at least that's how I'm doing it to give their thoughts on the story, the characters and basically kind of what they think of it in a critical way but also helpful not being like, oh, I think this is dumb. I think that was terrible. I think this was good. Being critical and analytical and helpful in their comments. So I am looking for my beta readers. I'm going to put in the episode show notes, the link to the form to apply to be a beta reader for my novel. Some context for it. It is a YA coming of age adventure story, which is a Call of the Wild meets the Jungle Book type story. If that's something that may be of interest to you, go to the episode show notes and go to the link found there and uh, fill it in. And maybe you'll hear back from me, maybe you won't, but I will be doing multiple rounds of beta readers. So if you don't hear from me at first, you may hear from me later on. And the beta reading process is likely to happen from January to March. So just kind of keep that in mind. Um, anyway, <laughs> I know this is a self-promotion thing to start off with, but I just kind of want to put that out there before I dive in. But let's dive in now. So today, obviously, we are continuing our timeline journey with the Battle of the Labyrinth. Chapter 13, we hire a new guide. And chapter 14, 
my brother duels me to the death. As always, I've got my points to focus on. So today we've got story structure, writing, characters, and generally what I thought of it. But to begin, here's the synopsis. Our boy Percy stumbles into his own funeral and not long after, he's taking away Annabeth's thing. With a new human guide, remembering we have an antagonist and dangerous battles galore, one has to wonder, how long until this ends? And that's the synopsis for these two chapters. I'm not going to preface anything with these, I'm just going to dive right in. I just I have a lot to say so starting obviously with chapter 13 we hire a new guide and this is the overview for chapter 13 Percy's been missing for two weeks and apparently the world stopped for him questionable history aside Percy is a clueless dummy and Annabeth loses her leadership with betrayals and sadness galore more dream sequences arrive a stop off with the best but most enabling mother in the world leads us to our next venture. We meet our mortal friend once again, Rachel Elizabeth Dare. Irritating rivalries aside, uh, no, wait, <laughs> I can't read my own text. Irritating rivalries arise, that's why, because it's a tongue twister, but she is the key. And so we head back to the labyrinth. Oh my god. Honestly, so much happens in this chapter and so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive right into it with story structure slash writing because this chapter for me uh, if you guys didn't listen into last week's episode, it meant lots of strong language, so you may not have if you're not a fan of strong language. The Calypso chapter and all these sort of things that were happening there, even the episode, the part to do with the volcano and stuff, those chapters should not have existed. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be blunt. And the reason that, that those chapters existing are the reason why now we're rushing. We have a hundred pages left, and not only do we still need to find Daedalus, not only do we need to figure out what to do with the Nico situation, not only do we need to reintroduce Luke as the antagonist he's meant to be and honestly should be but apparently forget that he is meant to be and so he doesn't really exist for much of the series and then do the battle to do with the labyrinth you know what it what this book is named after and do the whole saving of camp all that has to happen within a hundred pages and lots of other things we've got lots of threads that need to tie up it's just, I mean, too much happens in the story in general, and this is just a recurring theme, but this chapter is the perfect example of rushing to to fix all these things, because this chapter is nearly, tw it's nearly 25 pages long, and just too much is happening, but then too much of the wrong things are happening. We have two pages of Percy's return to his funeral... And that's it and then three pages is the immediate fallout we then have two dream sequences that mean nothing we then travel to Sally have that couple of page moment with Sally then also travel to Rachel and have a couple of pages moments with Rachel 
before we find out that she knows where her labyrinth entrance is. Just to to state, if nothing changed with the previous chapters, the only thing that would need to change for me is this chapter being split into two. The main thing is, there are so many things in this chapter that needed more explanation and needed more. Just just more as a whole. Because Percy's return, honestly, there needed to be more about his return. Why are people, like, Chiron is so chill about it. Annabeth does not have the time to deal with it. Percy's a bit of a knob, if I'm honest, because she's reacting poorly. Unsurprisingly, because he's come back and has immediately said, oh yeah, you know this quest that is meant to be your quest? Yeah, no, it's not going to be your quest anymore because I know the person to help us with it, so they're the main, most important person. And it's, you know, that girl that ruined our date at the start of the book and, you know, someone whose number that I have and I've just been on an island with another girl as well and, you know, all these sort of things. And, like, he's, a, he's annoyed that she was calling him the best hero that she's ever known at his funeral after she'd been sobbing he randomly appears and she realises because it's not difficult to figure out that the reason why he's been away for two weeks is because he was spending time with another woman and in her mind will probably come across to her as the fact that he didn't care enough about her feelings and just her and she's so used to being abandoned and this is going to be another situation of her feeling like she's been abandoned for someone better if you want a bit more of that check into my why why does everyone hate annabeth video on my youtube channel because honestly this girl has some very serious abandonment issues and percy kind of he adds to them a lot because he does make her feel like she's unimportant in some areas and it does make me question some areas of the later slight spoilers here relationship that there are some we mentioned, I think it was Robert actually who mentioned in the previous episode, the Calypso chapter should have been Annabeth healing Percy to build up their growing bond and also to help stop Annabeth currently appearing to be a bit of an asshole. Like, there's a lot of things that happen that she comes across as not a very nice person, which obviously leads to people ending up to why I ended up having to make a video about why does everyone hate Annabeth? Because she doesn't come across as a particularly kind person. But we then don't get any explanations to why she's this way. Unless you look into it. But it's never looked... Anyway, sorry. I'm going on a run now. But yeah, this chapter should have been split into two. um, And got on into more depth of Percy's return and the fallout from that. As well as what's been happening. Because narrative-wise... They know they're about to be invaded by the enemy. And yet, for two weeks, they did nothing. Or at least we don't find out if they did anything, because they're having a funeral. Why didn't she continue her quest? You know, the most important quest at current, because it's the one thing that will stop their camp from being destroyed by the enemy. Why have they not done anything just because Percy's dead? Does no one remember the fact that in literally the previous book, Bianca died halfway, th- not even halfway through the quest, 
And they carried on. They didn't go back home. They didn't stop the quest. They just kept going. Same with Zoe. Admittedly, she dies nearer the end of the quest. But they still carry on going. The moment she dies, yes, it's sad. But they go, you know, they finish it up. They finish up the, the quest. <sighs> Why haven't they done this? Like, it wasn't his quest. It wasn't his quest. So... Why did they stop? If it was his quest and he was the one leading it, then I would half get it. But it's not his quest. He is not the leader in this situation. It just, it frustrates me so much that Annabeth, considering this is meant to be her quest, she is the leader of this quest, has been shoehorned to a secondary character for this book and then made up to not be a particularly kind or intelligent character for someone who is meant to have common sense and intelligence. She has not shown any of that in this book. And it's kind of really irritating me because she doesn't feel like Annabeth. She doesn't feel like Annabeth at all. Like, she should have carried on this quest. Hell, take Clarice with her back into the labyrinth. I know, obviously, Clarice didn't want to, but everything we then learn about Chris to the point that she had that she had to be removed from his side because she was so desperate to get him well again, and that she's in a sort of vengeful sort of mood. I think she would have wanted to go into the labyrinth at this point. Firstly, because she wouldn't be going in alone. She is going in with Annabeth. The two of them make a really good team in my mind, and I think they would make a really good team. Also helps build up Clarice's character, and I'll get into that in a sec. But she is vengeful right now. She is angry at what's happened to Chris. That would give her motivation for wanting to go into the labyrinth to find Daedalus and to fix the crappy situation that has occurred. But that doesn't happen. They just give up on the quest for two weeks. Like, what the hell? Maybe things were going on, but like, they've stopped the quest completely. Why hasn't she brought in new people to go with her? Yes, it's sad, but, you know, the entire desiccation of the camp is a bit more of a big deal than one random guy, no offence to Percy, one random kid dying. Kids have died before in Camp Half-Blood. Kids keep dying in Camp Half-Blood. They don't ever stop for them. They just keep going. But for Percy, they did. And I'm like, this is such a joke. (sighs) <sighs> just the whole thing is with the whole Annabeth and Clarice thing just give me the badass female duo that this series as a whole if I'm honest as a whole this series desperately lacks the badass female duos or trios as a collective there isn't really any even in Heroes of Olympus and slight spoilers even though there are multiple female characters who are leads there is one moment <laughs> Of two female characters bonding. One. In a five book series. With more pages than these ones. And there is one moment. It's just ridiculous. And it's kind of irritating if I'm honest. This would have been a great way to help build up Clarice as a character. But also just... I'm also going to have to get into that. The whole Annabeth and Rachel thing. Just no. But let's just get into characters actually particularly about Clarice because give her more development oh 
Because honestly, that was such a great moment that could have been built on so well in this book. Particularly, you'd have to get rid of the ridiculous things I mentioned before, like the Calypso chapter, or replace that with Annabeth healing Percy. Tie that in slightly to the Chris and Clarice element of her healing Chris, but in Chris's case, it doesn't work out. Which helps build up her resentment, because she has this moment in this chapter where she says, Heroes die but the monsters keep coming back. And oh my God, this should have been built up so much more in this series, not just with Clarice, but with demigods as a whole. The resentment of demigods that no matter what they do, they lose and it's the gods' fault is something that is central or should have been central to the story as to why we can help it can help us as an audience help Percy and other demigods understand why other demigods joined the Titan side because they were fed up with just being born to die. Because that's literally what they are. They are born to die for the gods, for the gods' convenience. But this is not addressed hardly ever in this series even though that is a huge focal point of Luke's reasoning. But it's not addressed enough. And honestly, that is a, that should have been built up so much more. And honestly, there's a video coming out on my YouTube channel, Healthy Just a Friend, this Saturday, where I touch on this a little bit more. So go subscribe to my channel. Obviously, all linked. Um, that, is, that is a central element that needs to be included in the TV series, but also needs to be built on so much better in the books. But just, like, I love Clarice. You guys know this. But it would have been great from this moment to have her actually end up joining Luke's side. Have, in the nicest way to Chris, he's getting sick and he is dying because he's lost the will to live, very literally. Have him die and have that anger of Clarice, that everything that they do is never enough for the gods the gods keep causing these problems like the, the thing that percy describes is that the look in her eyes was that of her brother from the ranch i can't remember his name i can't say it where she looks like she's been used by the gods for two thousand years and that would have been a perfect segue and build up to her joining the other side, or to delving in to the resentment and anger that demigods have towards the gods. But it never happens, and it's such a missed opportunity. And I'm gonna move on now <laughs> to Rachel and Annabeth collectively, because the rivalry between these two is such a joke and the biggest mistake from this series but the thing that I do kind of want to touch on is the fact that people only blame Annabeth for this rivalry between them ignoring the fact that Rachel she's not as rude but she's not very nice to Annabeth either she firstly the first thing that she does is call Annabeth Annabelle and for anyone who's ever seen or understood anything about romantic concepts 
when you're in front of someone that you have a romantic interest in, you know also has a romantic interest in someone else, you degrade that other person, usually by calling them the wrong name because it it, it usually happens between of a man talking about another woman's romantic interest because in that case it's for emasculation. But here it's it's just as similar for girls doing it to other girls. It, it's a pathetic thing that people do, but it is something that happens. You will deliberately call someone by their wrong name, usually one that's slightly similar. So in this case, she calls her Annabelle instead of Annabeth. But it's something that is very done and it's a very manipulative move to kind of make it seem like they're not as important in front of the person that they both have a romantic interest in. It is a manipulative element, but no one seems to pick up on it or see that as a bad thing, even though it's a literal thing. She also mocks Annabeth for her anxiety about announcing the fact that they are half-bloods and demigods. By then announcing to the entire cafe that they're in that they are gods. Firstly, we as an audience know the danger of the world because monsters can hide anywhere and everywhere, as we've seen in multiple occasions. For example, the first bloody book where Percy's math teacher is literally a monster. Annabeth has the right reasons for being nervous and being like, yeah, no, don't say these things out loud, be a little bit more cautious. And Rachel mocks her by announcing their demigod status and then is patronising towards Annabeth as well by deliberately wanting her to say, and this follows pretty much almost automatically afterwards, when Percy says to her, we need your help, she deliberately turns towards Annabeth and asks her, is this true? She wants Annabeth to admit that she needs their, that she needs her help. That is a is also a manipulative move. It's something that someone who's usually an, an antagonist says to someone to get a rise out of them, to mock them, to be cruel to them, being like, I know that you aren't happy about this situation, but I'm going to make you say it because it will give me something to be happy about because it's going to make you unhappy to have to say it. But no one picks up on these things. And it's it's really kind of irritating that Annabeth is seen as the only one who is the bad guy in this situation. Like, she is being just as bad, I admit, and I will go into this now. She is being standoffish. But what I want to point into, and this isn't me being an Annabeth apologist, like, honestly, Annabeth is being a bit of a dick. And it's really frustrating because, firstly, Annabeth isn't normally like this. Her situation with Tyson, honestly sucky i'll get into that slightly but and and technically a bit racist in some form was would it be speciesist i guess in that form because he's i don't know either way a little bit messed up well not even a little bit it is messed up but in the case of rachel right now her standoffish behavior makes sense because she's been emotionally traumatised at mo- at the moment. She's dealing with the fact 
that the best friend and the guy that she likes, who she thought was dead for two weeks, within the same day, Oh, to add on the fact that she probably blamed herself for his death. She probably, like, 100% she definitely blamed herself for his death. Obviously, quote-unquote, death because he didn't die. But she blames her. She would, because this is Anna Beth. She has a lot of guilt. She will automatically blame herself. We see this in later books as well, and I'll go into that when that happens. But she does take a lot of blame for things that go wrong. She will think, it, she would have thought it was her fault. But then for the, in the same, well, not same day, okay, next day, but within a day, really, because it was the evening when he arrived. So within 24 hours, let's say, of believing her best friend was dead, something she probably blamed herself for, she found out he was gone for so long because he was with another girl on an island and then came back wanting the help of another girl. Add in the fact that this is her own mission being hijacked once again, it's no wonder she's feeling a bit salty. This is a guy that she likes, someone that she kissed not long before it happened. And he's been off on an island with another girl for two weeks and has come back saying, hey, yeah, we need this other girl's help. You're not that useful. He doesn't obviously say that she's not useful, but that is going to be how it's going to be making her feel. Just, just picture yourself in this situation. A guy or someone you've kissed disappears for two weeks. You find out that they were with someone else. You don't know if it was romantic or not, but you know the intention behind it. If they've disappeared with someone else for two weeks, you're going to question it. And then they come back, don't talk to you or apologise or make sure that you're okay because you've they've seen that you're incredibly upset because they thought you were dead. And then you as the girl, but well, you as Annabeth in this situation, then hear them say, hey, we need this other girl's help. It's going to make you feel like crap. You're going to feel rubbish. You are going to feel not even second best in this situation. You're going to feel third best. Because he has, he nearly chose another girl over her. Not, not even a romantic sense, it doesn't have to be. It could be in the friendship sense that he didn't, she maybe thinks that he didn't think their friendship was important enough because he was able to stay away for two weeks. And then the moment he comes back, he do, clearly doesn't care about you in her mind because the first thing that he's thought about is how to take away the one thing that she has left and give it to another girl to do. I just, I don't know, I just, I think it's a really crummy situation. I'm not too surprised at how Annabeth, as to why Annabeth is reacting badly. Like, it's going to be hurting. She's going to be dealing with a lot of emotional abandonment trauma. She She does have abandonment issues. Like, her family didn't want her, they wanted her gone. Didn't happen once, didn't happen twice, it happened three times when they've sent her away. <sighs> the one guy that she saw something in turned out to be evil, but then she continues to see small moments of goodness in him and latches onto that because he was a hero in her eyes. 
then the new guy that you're that she's starting to like and not even just in a romantic sense when she sees him as a really good friend as well and they've been through so much in three years and yet you see that he's seemingly latching onto other people and maybe doesn't have enough faith in her abilities and I don't know I just feel like it's gonna it's gonna hurt a lot and yeah no she does have a lot of bias due to her history and it becomes pretty clear also in this chapter that she doesn't like mortals which honestly again she was gaslighted by her mortal family for years but this needs to be addressed so much in the book so it doesn't make her come across as a crappy person and this is this is the issue that I've had with a lot of the books to do with Annabeth and why I can understand why people don't like her. All of the issues that she has are never addressed. They are glossed over so incredibly easily. Her family are abusive, gaslighting a-holes. And yet, literally in the previous book, Percy thinks they're good people because he doesn't see the bad things that they've done and makes Annabeth question it and makes and Annabeth apologizes to her abusive family. She saw a cyclops at age seven nearly murder all of her friends and the only people who'd been protecting her for a long period of time and had to, you know, deal with that situation and in her young brain, because again guys, she was seven when that happened. She associated the fact that they got trapped at that Cyclops' place as the reason why Talia died. And maybe because, again, she's seven and she'll be blaming herself a lot because that is her tendency now because of what the situation she was, she grew up in. She probably blamed herself for not being able to save them quicker. She probably thinks it's her fault that if maybe she'd saved them sooner, Talia would have survived. Like that's very that's a very easy assumption to make as to her point of view because she does seemingly seem like the sort of person who blames herself for lots of situations that are completely out of her control but because of the abusive situation she grew up in that is how she's going to you know view them as something that she should have dealt with i've just realized this episode is going on a lot longer than i meant to we're only on chapter 13 and i've still got one chapter left but anyway yeah I just feel like these situations need to be addressed so much better in the books and they never are if I'm honest like none of the books address the abuse the childhood trauma any of that none of it excuses her behavior but it does show reasoning behind it but they needed to be confronted a lot sooner and dealt with in general instead of being glossed over anyway let's just move on from that and go into chapter 14 because i have gone on a little bit too long um let's go into chapter 14 and here is the overview for chapter 14 my brother draws me to the death with annabeth's quest officially no longer her quest rachel leads our heroes through the maze but it isn't long before they hit trouble oh gosh someone's recently watched gladiator haven't they with some guy references, Luke's growing unimportance and a fight of the death, it becomes a regular Tuesday. Finally though, Percy uses some battle smarts. With their win in place and Mrs O'Leary to the rescue, our trio plus another escapee escape into the maze once more. 
And that is the overview for chapter 14. God, right, okay. Um, let's go into writing first and then I'll go into characters slightly because it's just more stuff about Annabeth. So the writing thing is, stop with these unimportant scenes. This entire chapter, other than going into the maze and Rachel, you know, being able to see something that is leading them through it, that's important. This fight with this giant means nothing. It doesn't need to be here. We've had enough problems and hindrances of the plot in general. There is no reason for this battle to exist. Also, Percy talks about the fact that he's he's trained, so he's in a gladiator, literally in a gladiator situation. And he talks about, oh yeah, I've trained against people using nets. And I'm like, when the hell have you trained, boy? You have done nothing. You come to camp and then immediately after, you're on a quest. You don't train at all. You do nothing. I just, it's a chosen one protection situation here. That's all I'm going to say. But I, I will say, I'm glad Luke's finally back. Because he should be the foil for Percy. But he barely exists in the chapter anyway, so it's not like this chapter serves any purpose. Luke, in, in general, needed more of a role in this book. But not in the dream sequences. He needs to be more present. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier to do with the whole Clarice situation as well. We need to understand why demigods are able to... Well, why some demigods are choosing to join the Titans. Yeah, Luke's reasoning is a little bit extreme, but the fact that the gods do use the demigods basically to be born to die is a true statement, but it's never addressed. But Luke can be the person to address that. Have a situation where they meet in the labyrinth. Maybe don't have him want to kill Percy. Honestly, the fact that he constantly wants to kill Percy doesn't make any sense to me, if I'm honest. If anything, I think... It, what would make more sense is that he wants to bring Percy to his side. He wants Percy to understand where he's He wants everyone to understand where he's coming from. Because he thinks the only way for the demigods to survive is to turn against the gods. And to become more independent themselves. That would make sense. But, like, <laughs> his motivation just never makes sense as a whole. It changes regularly. Like, he... <sighs> This is the thing, and again, I'm mentioning my YouTube channel, video that I do on the weekend. I mentioned the fact that Luke should be the main villain of this series. Not Cronus. Cronus is the Ozai. Luke should be the Zuko. He's going about something with the wrong intention, but he has his reasons for doing it. The only difference is, in the case of Luke, I think his reasonings should make more sense the completely wrong method and going to the extreme of getting rid of the gods because that's just it doesn't make any sense but demigods gaining the respect that they deserve is an important message but it's one that just never really stands up or kind of continues in the books which is why things that happen later with luke most people kind of don't get on board with and i'm not too surprised as to why they don't because it kind of comes out of nowhere. But anyway, yeah, I'll get into that later on because there are more things I want to say about that. And I may do a, when I kind of get to that final part, I may do a separate episode dedicated to 
Luke and what should have been done better with his character. Um, if you guys are interested in that, do you want me to do that as a podcast episode or as a YouTube video? Let me know. Um, but yeah, going into characters though for this final bit, and I want I do want to talk about Annabeth again just because I kind of get the frustration about Annabeth in this chapter, considering. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I think I worded it wrong. That's why. Um, I get the frustration at Annabeth that people fa- that fans have towards her about this whole Rachel situation, but I understand Annabeth's own frustration in this situation, considering everything her and Percy have been through. He didn't fully trust her to begin with and questions her sometimes. But without question, he believes in Rachel. So Rachel is able to lead them through the labyrinth. Straight away, she sees the correct direction. And Percy believes her straight away. Like, yeah, no, let's follow her. And Annabeth is like, wait, you you trust her? And she's like, yeah, don't you? And he says, it looks like she wanted to argue. And I'm kind of like, I kind of get it. He's, he questions her a lot. The first time they were in the labyrinth, all he did was question her decisions. But the moment Rachel is in there and says one thing, he's immediately like, yeah, no, she knows what she's doing. That would be so incredibly insulting and upsetting to someone who you've been around for four years now. Someone you're meant to have more faith in and yet he doesn't have any faith in her. Or at least that's how it comes across. It comes across that he doesn't have any faith in her abilities. But does in the scale that he's only known probably in total less than a week if we add all the times Hoover Dam and that current less than a week he's known her and yet he trusts her more than someone he's known for four years that would be upsetting it's, if anything it's just proving to Annabeth that she's not good she, she's not a good hero she's not a hero something that is sort of her hubris she wants and needs to be the best and to be a hero but this quest has been stolen at least probably in her eyes by a human who is more capable than her a demigod and her best friend and the guy she likes clearly believes in this human more just i don't know there's just something about that just like the idea of that I'd be like if one of my best friends suddenly like they, they've met someone and they've known them and been friends with them for let's say a month for example and they ask us both for advice and we both offer some form of advice in some way and immediately they pick this other person's advice maybe it was better advice maybe they were better equipped to offer it but that is going to hurt that they are taking the advice and word of someone they've known less longer than they've known you it is going to hurt and you are going to feel a bit jaded about it doesn't justify her attitude towards Rachel but I get it it's a very human reaction from her as well she is a teenager teenagers do have heightened emotions and it's just it's going to feel hurtful and in the fact also that <laughs> when they're kidnapped and taken to the gladiator arena 
Rachel and Annabeth are both in danger, but Percy only says to Rachel that he's sorry and that he'll get her out of it. Like, get her to safety and make sure that she's safe. Bro, Annabeth's right there and in trouble too. What the hell? I, dude, oh, God. Percy is so insensitive sometimes. I know Annabeth is perfectly capable, but she is currently under the control and weight of a giant, weaponless. The exact same position, basically, because she's not like she's got any heightened strength or anything like that. She's just got intellect, but it's trapped. But he's only concerned about Rachel. I don't know. It just seems like a sucky move to me. Anyway. Uh, right, okay. I'm going to finish up now. I'm going to finish this up with a question for you guys. What do you think about the rivalry between Annabeth and Rachel? And do you think it makes any sense? I'm intrigued about this. Um, keep it, you know, clean and kind in the comments on the Instagram, because obviously it's going to be posted on, on the Instagram. Um, on the social media I'll be posting it on. Uh, any comments that are rude, going to be deleted straight up. Anyway, yeah, so that is this week's question of the episode. Do you think the rivalry and intensity of it, in a sense really, between Annabeth and Rachel made sense? Let me know and email me your thoughts also. But anyway, because this episode's gone on longer than I intended, Thank you all for joining me today for the Battle of the Labyrinth. Be sure to join me next Wednesday as we continue our Wildenverse journey. And also, of course, I completely forgot, it is the holiday season for anyone who celebrates around this time of year. Wishing you all a happy holiday season. And for anyone who's just, you know, just chilling. Enjoy your chilling. Um, <laughs> but yes, anyway, to plug, right? To plug? Oh, okay. Where you can find our podcast, we are available on Spotify, where you should follow us. Apple Podcasts, where you can leave a rating and a review. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Deezer, and pretty much all podcasting platforms. Reminder again, in the episode show notes is the link to join up to become a beta reader for my debut novel coming winter 2021. Fingers crossed. In the meantime, between episodes, you can find The Best Damn Camp on various social media, at Best Damn Camp Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to email me with your own thoughts, you can email thebestdamncamp at hotmail.com and I'll read it out at the end of the show. If you want to support me making this content, check me out on Patreon at A Healthy Dose of Fran and check out my YouTube channel A Healthy Dose of Fran for more Percy Jackson content. And drop me a follow also on my social media A Dose of Fran on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. Again, thank you guys for tuning in. As always, I have been Fran, your very own hunter. And I'll see, slash me to you guys next time. Toodaloo.